Podcasting from Singapore and broadcasting all around the world. You're listening to the Ignite EdTech Podcast with Craig Kemp, created by an educator for educators and streaming to the world. Now, over to your host, Craig Kemp. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Ignite EdTech Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Kemp, and I'm honored to have you join us. As most of you know, I continue to work with the incredibly talented Mark Quinn to improve the final audio quality of this podcast. He has his own podcast production studio that provides editing and mastering services to content creators. To connect with Mark, please see the details in the podcast notes below. Last week, I asked you about your thoughts and confidence level on the Web 3.0 and the Metaverse. Thank you for your thoughts and ideas. This week, I wanted to ask you about what you are excited about when it comes to the Metaverse. I'd love to hear from you. Please share with us via our Ignite EdTech social streams. I look forward to hearing your responses soon. A tool that has positively impacted the authentic and purposeful use of technology into classrooms and meeting rooms that I have worked in is Canva. Canva is a graphic design tool for the web, Android, iOS, and Chrome. Users can create an account and then follow a tutorial that shows them how to get started and how to use the tool's many features. Users can upload their own images and create their own layouts or choose from a selection of thousands of built-in images and design templates. You can adjust brightness and contrast, resize images, overlay images with text and colors, and so much more. Once users have finished creating, their designs are automatically saved to the cloud and are accessible from the user's homepage in the app or on the website. Users can then export their creations via email as Facebook posts, via Twitter, and then can download their images as JPEG, PNG, or PDF. Canva for Education is the best bet for classrooms, especially those with students under 13. It offers a safer and more controlled environment and integrates with Google Classroom, Rostering, Clever, and Google Sign-On. This version is available for teachers for free after they register with their school email address. Teachers can then add students to their classrooms, create assignments, receive assignments, and review and approve work. The education site features blog posts from teachers and students, special tutorials, and templates geared toward teachers, plus ideas for using Canva in the classroom. I love Canva, and if you've not used it yet, it is a must. Go and create a free account today. And for more about how to use Canva for design, check out the new course on EduSpark with one of the greatest in the game, Tanya Leclerc. The link is in the description below. I highly recommend that you take a look at canva.com education. Last week, we talked about Web 3.0. If you're interested in learning more, go back and listen to last week's episode. This week, I wanted to talk about the metaverse and give you some quick basics. Talking about the metaverse feels a lot like talking about the internet back in the 1970s and 80s. As the building blocks of the new form of communication were being laid down, it sparked speculation around what it would look like and how people would use it. Everyone was talking about it, but very few knew what it really meant or how it would work. Looking back, it didn't turn out exactly as some people imagined. The word metaverse was coined in a 1992 dystopian sci-fi novel, Snow Crash, written by Neil Stevenson. 
In the book, the metaverse is the sum of virtual and augmented realities concentrated on a super long street through which people walk as avatars and can access using goggles and plugging into terminals. The metaverse that is slowly becoming a reality now is a 3D version of the internet and computing at large. It'll be accessible through phones, computers, wearable technology, and headsets, or a combination of these. And it will be where you work, shop, exercise, socialize, watch movies, learn, and play games. There are some exciting things coming for this in education, and some amazing leaders in this field driving it. If this is up your alley, do yourself a favor and follow Vriti Saraf, the one person that's driving the metaverse for change in education is my go-to for everything in this space. I've put her link in the podcast notes below. For education, the metaverse seems a long way away, but I think it's going to come much quicker than we have thought. I'd love to hear from you to learn more about your understanding and questions about the metaverse. Please reach out with your ideas and thoughts. Every week, I bring you a short interview with some of my edu heroes, an engaging learning experience with someone who makes a difference in education every day, with a particular focus or angle towards educational technology. This week, I had the pleasure of chatting with Julie Stern. Let's have a listen to the chat. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Julie Stern, who's a business owner, keynote speaker, author, and workshop host who travels the world and inspires thousands. Julie is the founder and principal facilitator at Learning That Transfers, an organization that inspires schools and individuals through their facilitation and support. Julie has nearly two decades experience facilitating adult learning. She's a four-time best-selling author of Learning That Transfers, Visible Learning for Social Studies, the On Your Feet Guide to Learning Transfer, and Tools for Teaching Conceptual Understanding in Elementary and Secondary. Julie also has a course on EduSpark, which I know you will love to explore. Julie, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Are you ready to talk about education and technology integration? Yes, thank you so much. It's so great to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. Let's go. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your current role and what inspires you to do what you do? That's a great question. So I've been working with teachers longer than I've been working with students. I started off really young, um, designing curriculum, designing lesson plans and training teachers. In fact, I met my husband who was in my very first training class um, when I was when I was 25 years old. So I just I would say, you know, working with teachers has been, uh, and then, you know, and then I went back into the classroom and I always kind of have one foot in the classroom um, trying to do at least teaching one class every once in a while, things like that. And I do passionately love young people. And so it wasn't even until I kind of, you know, when you're going through life, you look up and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> I might love adults more because just of the, how I spend my time. So my current role is partnering with teachers, sitting with them, just thinking about what are you teaching next? What's your next unit? How can I help you just elevate it? How can I offer resources? Because by now I have uh, in many ways sort of relearned what I forgot when I was going through school myself, because I'm social studies back. I taught secondary social studies, but I've been working K through 12 in every subject area for over, over a decade now. And so I, any teacher, any subject area, it's, it's so fun for me because 
I, I get to and sometimes sort of remind myself or relearn the content while I'm helping to support them. So my current role, I think, is is just inspiring teachers to be better, to support them because it's such a, a an important and difficult job. And so I, I feel like I, if I can help be an extension of their brain or an extension of their <laughs> Google searching for resources, things like that, um, that's that really inspires me to do what I do. I love that. And I've loved just sitting back listening to that because I see that enthusiasm and excitement for the work that you do every time I interact and engage with you both online and we have these conversations and that's not always what we see when we we have conversations with people and I love to see your excitement in that because it comes out in the learning that you deliver as well and on that note you know I'd love for the listeners to learn a little bit more about you know a day in your life because the work that you do is uh, across incredibly diverse roles. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, that's, that's so it's so great that you asked that question right now, because it is currently as we record this 10, 12 p.m. <laughs> um, and so maybe maybe I don't have the best work-life balance, but a day in my life, especially recently, has been almost exclusively online, on Zoom. I've only gone to one education conference since you know March of 2020, um, and so a day in my life is is mostly doing professional development delivered via Zoom. But what I do in the school in person is very similar to what I do uh, on Zoom, which is what I said before. You know, just asking them what is your next unit, how can I help you, how can I um, help you to. My passion is conceptual learning and and students being able to build these organized bodies of knowledge that then transfer, that then allow them to unlock new situations. So typically when I'm, you know, a typical day in the life is I'm either introducing that idea to a new group or more often than not, I'm a group, I'm working with a group who's already heard my you know, little intro spiel and they've got the basic idea and we're working on their actual units. And so what I love that's been a silver lining of COVID is the ability to bounce all around the world in a single day. And so I might start off my morning with a school in Ethiopia because it's the afternoon for them and I'm on the East Coast in the United States. So I'm starting off my, you know, I whatever time of day it is for them, I try and, you know, within reason, I try to try to zoom in and meet with their PLC time. Um, but, you know, I just sit with whatever discipline. I've got a team as well. So I'll sit with whatever teammate can't make it maybe for that day. I'll sit with the world language team or I'll sit with the social studies team or I'll sit with the English team and, and you know, they'll share their units with me and I'll just just support them in that way. Um, and then I meet with my team <laughs> and sort of we debrief the sessions. Um, we we fine tune things. We're always improving, of course. Um, and so we're constantly, we probably have like 30 things we'd like to do to improve either our professional development, our live professional development or our online courses, but you can't do all of those. Um, and so we're kind of prioritizing, I'm kind of looking to the future, uh, those types of things all all in a single day. Amazing. Yeah. What a diverse you know, day. Incredibly busy, but I'm sure incredibly rewarding as well. You know, the work that you do, and I highlighted this at the start, Julie, with being an author of so many amazing books already and being such a talented author as well um, to become bestsellers, 
Tell us about all of your books and why we should check them out. Sure. So my the first two books that I wrote are, are essentially the same book, Tools for Teaching Conceptual Understanding. Um, but there's an elementary version and a secondary version. And so those are in the concept-based series. So if your listeners are familiar with um, Aislinn Erickson, who's sort of the, I call her the godmother of concept-based curriculum instruction. Um, so there, she, I was her social studies specialist for six of her certification institutes. And so those were the first books that, that me and, and some other amazing co-authors co co-authored together, which is really just about how do we center concepts? That's kind of the whole point of concept-based. How do we make sure that instead of focusing on the topic or, or discrete facts and skills, how do we anchor facts and skills in these overarching ideas that we call concepts. Um, And so if you're into conceptual learning, if you're at an IB school, international baccalaureate school, then it's a natural fit. But I do also work with, uh, going back to the day in the life, I work with international schools, public schools, uh, schools that use the British curriculum, schools that use, of course, US-based curriculum, schools that use the IB curriculum, schools. I just finished a call with a school that uses the Chinese curriculum. So I'm just getting to know the Chinese curriculum. Um, and so no matter what curriculum or standards or outcomes or, you know, whatever, many people use that word in different ways. I think what's fun is, is saying, okay, what's this context? Are you, are you a public school in Canada? Are you an international school in China? Um, are your students, and this is becoming more and more that I'm sure you're seeing in your journey, every school that I work with has English language learners. So that issue is another one that comes up. Um, and so all of this works really well for English language learners because a lot of what I advocate is the use of visuals. Um, the use of visuals to understand what a concept is, the use of concept mapping to connect concepts in relationship. So that's kind of a common theme throughout all of my books and, and my works. The next thing that I published was called the On Your Feet Guide to Learning Transfer. And it's when, you know, conceptual understanding, the goal is transfer. And my first two books do talk about transfer and do have specific strategies for how do we help students apply their learning from one situation to the next. And then I wanted something that was really simple, really streamlined, really to the point. And so uh, that's when I wrote the On Your Feet Guide to Learning Transfer. So it's just like a three-page laminated document along with a co-author named Julia Briggs. And she and I just said, okay, let's synthesize this to its very essence. And even though that's the shortest of all the things that I wrote, in some ways it might have been the hardest because it was great to have an editor say, you've got three pages front and back. So six pages. And also the back's got to have like a bunch of stuff. So you really just have five. (laughs) So it's like, okay, how do you write something really profound in five pages? And so, you know, we worked really hard on that and we got, we got it down to three steps. That's a really great tool that teachers can use and it's really light and easy to carry. And then I was going to write Learning That Transfers, my latest book, but my editor came to me and said to me, Julie, are you still doing work with social, in social studies? And I said, absolutely. There's a lot of schools that want to do, especially secondary level, they want their trainers, their professional development to be discipline specific. And so I said, of course, I still do a lot of work in social studies. And she said, well, would you would you be interested in writing uh, visible learning for social studies with John Hattie, Doug Fisher, and Nancy Fry. And I was like, um, yes, <laughs> I would be interested in that. Um, and so I put learning that transfers on hold to write visible learning for social studies. And that was such a joy. They were 
amazing mentors. I have such good things to say about all three of them, such wonderful people. And, you know, I was almost starstruck, right? You're writing a book and you're like, okay, I just got an email from Doug Fisher. Okay, but I better I better bring up my A game. But I just said to them, you know, are you okay with me bringing in the, the conceptual piece to this? And they were like, absolutely. They had such great things to say about, you know, John Hattie once said to me on, a, on an email, Julie, I turn to your work because it's the best in the world. And I was like, I mean, just such nice people, such great compliments. And they they really gave me a lot of, of confidence around bringing conceptual understanding to the visible learning work. And so that that's something that I feel really proud about. And it influenced, of course, learning that transfers because what they talk about in their books, which is also in my first two books, is three levels of learning, surface, deep, and transfer. And so what are the what I love about the Visible Learning Practice Series, which is Visible Learning and Mathematics, uh, Literacy, Science, and Social Studies, is it talks about instructional strategies that teachers want to use depending on the, the sort of stage you're in in the learning journey. And so that idea, I think, is, is awesome, is excellent. Like if students have know nothing about a topic or a situation or a context or whatever it is, you can't use the same instructional strategy than if they're, you know, three months into learning about this or very well versed or they've learned it, you know, in several grade levels. Um, And so I love the idea of where are students in the learning journey and you choose instructional strategies based on that. So my latest book is really about curriculum design. How do we take whatever it is that the government or my school leader, my chief academic officer, whatever, whoever it is says, this is what you got to teach. How do we take that and use it to prepare our students for an unknown future? That's an incredible challenge. And I think we did it. That's, that's what learning that transfers is all about. Like, how do we take, we, how do we go from the outcomes that we have to teach? Cause we, t- we, we talk about how to, how to sort of prioritize all of the things that you're, government uh, or leader might tell you you need to quote unquote cover? Um, How do you prioritize it? How do you put it together in a meaningful story so that your students grasp the big picture? Um, And how do you get your students to be transferring their learning to complex real world situations? And so that's what that's what the latest book is all about. I think it's fantastic, Julie, as well, because, you know, it, it is embedded in research. It's well known. It's you know, something that can be integrated and connected very easily, like you said, to any curriculum. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned a lot about international education, working across multiple curriculums, is that a lot of the the things that we do in our schools are very, very similar. We just use different language. We use different words. And hearing what you're talking about I think it's particularly relevant for anyone. And we'll make sure that all of the links to the the books and all of your work are, are in the podcast notes as well so everyone can access those. Let's jump into some quick fire questions, Julie. The first thing that comes to your head and maybe a brief why. What's your favorite EdTech book or resource? Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, so I looked back on my shelf looking for for books, but I think I came across this recently called the goodlifegoals.com. And so I want to say a resource rather than a book. Teachers love the the sustainable development goals, the SDGs, and uh, but they're meaty and long and <laughs> there's a lot of them. <laughs> it's just like almost overwhelming. Um, and so goodlifegoals.com has translated these into more student-friendly uh, language and icons and just so many different resources. And so the main thing, you can go to goodlifegoals.com, but then you got to really see that a lot of the resources are on SDGHub.com 
com backslash good life goals. Um, those are something that I just discovered within the last week and I'm, I'm still kind of playing with it. And I think back to my making the world a better place, that is the resource that I want to share. Love it. What's your go-to edtech tool that the listeners need to try? So I have two. Please don't cut me off. Well, I guess you could edit me out because you have that power, <laughs> but I, I, I can't help it. Um, so I would say definitely give Padlet a second look. So when the when the pandemic happened, Padlet was like everybody's go-to and everybody was using Padlets and I kind of like was over it. But Padlet up their game and now you can do video. I mean, it's just so that you can, you, I love concept maps. And so you can, the students are able to link different and respond to each other and, and link different entries into the Padlet. So I would say if you, if you were over Padlet, like I was, maybe give it a second look. But my real answer is Loom. So I'm sure your listeners are savvier than I am about EdTech, but Loom is, is it's simply a screen recording, but it lives on the web and you can interact with it. And so I've had so much fun using Loom, just even with my team, even with my assistant, you know, we just use it to screencast real quick and you're able to put emojis and different things and respond. You can comment at certain parts of a video. And I think think just in our disconnected, we're connected, you know, digitally, but I feel like video adds such a nice human element to the ways in which we interact much better than email, much better than uh, even text message, things like that. So I would say Loom. Fantastic. We'll make sure the links to these are in the podcast notes as well. What's one daily habit or practice that helps you enjoy progress and succeed in your career, Julie? Oh, that was so hard. I mean, I exercise, I do all those things, but you said 20 seconds. Um, And so (laughs) I would say writing, just getting my thoughts, my goals, my plans, my schedules, my values, even my worries out of my brain and into the physical world. Um, And so I, I have two different sort of analog journals slash daily planners that I carry around with me almost everywhere. One is just brainstorm, just a blank notebook. And another one is my calendar. Um, And so that's something I think if without that, I don't know. I don't know how I would survive. I love it. Fantastic. Yeah. And the work that you do and share is inspirational, Julie. And I know that our listeners are going to want to follow and connect with you. What's the best way for them to do that? Oh, thank you, Craig. I appreciate all your your kindness. Um, I think probably Twitter is the the place where I interact the most. It's at Julie H Stern. Um, is Twitter is the social media channel that I use the most, but I'm also on Instagram as well in the same handle at Julie H Stern. Um, Facebook, we have a, a group called Learning That Transfers if anybody's on Facebook. Um, and then of course you could just just find me on my website, which is learningthattransfers.com. Julie, thank you so much for your time today. Inspirational as always. Oh, thank you so much, Craig. It was a joy to be here. Next week, join me for episode 94 of the Ignite EdTech podcast when I'm joined by Trisha Friedman. Want to win a prize? Enter now at bit.ly slash edtechwin and we'll regularly announce winners of incredible prizes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow us and share the podcast with your PLN and colleagues. Please remember to spend a few minutes to rate this podcast too on your podcast channel of choice so we can reach even more educators and edtech enthusiasts globally. 
Remember, you have the chance to win as well. Check out the links in the description for more, and I'll see you again next week. If you liked today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode and be in the drawing to win prizes every week. If you know others that would enjoy the show, please hit that share button and brighten their day. Join us again next week for your weekly EdTech hit with at Mr. Kemp NZ. We'll see you again soon.